So the scripture this morning is Philippians 1, verses 3 through 6. Please stand for the reading of God's word. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Dean. Though her name is lost to history, the woman who finished last in the 1912 Shawnee Golf Invitational for Ladies in Pennsylvania will live on as an essay of determination and perseverance. She teed off the 16th hole where her ball went directly into a nearby river. She gamely set out in a rowboat to play the ball. When she finally had succeeded in playing the ball out of the water, it landed in dense woods. From the woods, she managed to get the ball into the rough. From there, she hit the ball into a sand trap, then back into the rough. After much effort, she finally got the ball into the cup. Her final score for that hole was 166. (laughs) Now... I I think most of you are familiar with golf. The lower the score, the better. This is not like football or soccer or basketball. It's like, well, golf, cross country, it's better when your score is low. So that was not a good thing. But it was, I think, a credit to her that she did not give up. I, you know, I am. A, I used to golf some, and I haven't golfed in years because the game was frustrating to me. I didn't do it often enough to get good at it. But I know that when I played golf, when I got to 10, I went to the next hole. <laughs> that was my rule. <laughs> and that happened more often than I liked. So I gave my uh, golf clubs to the teams to sell in a garage sale they had, and that was the end of my golfing career. Um, but this, this story is kind of a picture of someone who is com- committed to finishing what they had started. She just was not going to quit. Uh, this morning I want to talk about a promise that God has made to his people and Dean read that promise. And so just as the woman, the woman in this story I just related to you was determined to finish her work, this thing that she'd started on this whole. God promises us that he will finish the work that he has begun in us. Let me, uh, let me read that passage of scripture to you again. This is from the New Living Translation, and, and it reads like this. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. I always pray for you. And I make my requests with a heart full of joy because you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am sure that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on that day when Christ Jesus comes back again. What a great promise. 
Now this passage, I think, in my mind anyway, can be divided into two parts. Part one, Paul expresses his heart for the people in the church at Philippi. I want to thank you for your partnership in the gospel. Part two is the promise of what God will do concerning them. He will see the work he's begun in you to completion. So we're going to look at this scripture, I guess you could say in reverse this morning. We're going to begin with part two, God's promise. And then we'll move to part one. Um, First of all, uh, just let me relate this little story to you. In the early days of our country, a weary traveler came to the banks of the Mississippi River for the first time. There was no bridge at that point, of course. It was early winter, and the surface of the mighty river was covered with ice. Could he dare cross over? Would the uncertain ice be able to bear his weight? Night was falling, and it was urgent that he reached the other side. And so finally, after much hesitation and with many fears, he began to creep cautiously onto the ice on his hands and knees. He thought that he might that if he distributed his weight that way, um, it might keep the ice from breaking underneath him. About halfway across, he heard the sound of singing behind him. Suddenly, a man driving a horse-drawn load of coal across the ice came flying by him, singing merrily as he went on his way. So here he was, on his hands and knees, trembling lest the ice was not strong enough to hold him. Then came this man, his horse, his sleigh, his load of coal, upheld by the same ice on which he was creeping. Folks, we need not move forward in fear. Let's call it God's ice is strong enough to hold us up. We can trust God's promises. And I think the promise that he makes here in this passage from Philippians is certainly a promise to us individually. The good work he has begun in my life and in yours as individuals, he will see to completion. But I think it's also true corporately. He's speaking to us as a church body. And I think about... um, the work that began here. In fact, um, it began with uh, Tim McIntyre's dad, I believe. And you know what? Um, people who are supposed to know about things talk about this kind of bell-shaped curve that's indicative of the life of a church. And, you know, the starting point, you get stronger and kind of reach a peak, and then you fall off, and eventually the church dies. Have you seen any of that? I I guess it's true in some cases, but I don't think it has to be true. Yeah, thank you. I don't think it has to be true. So I I think God has a hope in the future for Longmont Church of the Nazarene. I hope you believe that too. Um, so um, God is at work here. Uh, you know, I, uh, I think about what we've just been through with uh, the years of COVID and the restrictions. And, you know, we didn't meet for a while. It was all online. And then we met in the parking lot. And then eventually we moved back into the building. And 
Um, we came back strong. We, we came back strong. Thank God. You know, there were, uh, I don't know, uh, I know that long after we were meeting again, there were churches that were still not coming together. We came back strong, and it was, um, it was what God did in us and through us. And, you know, He's still doing that. And aren't you glad for the way God incorporates people into his family? You know, a Sunday school teacher had two new boys in her Sunday school class one day, and, you know, she had to get their names and all of that, and she asked about their ages and birthdays, and the, the boy, who, the, the bolder of the two, said, we're both seven. My birthday is April 8th. 1976, and my brother's is April 20th, 1976. And the teacher said, that's impossible. No, it's not, answered the other brother. One of us is adopted. Which one, asked the teacher. The boys looked at each other and smiled, and the the bolder of the two said, we asked Dad about that a long time ago, but he just said he loved us both. And he couldn't remember anymore which one was adopted. (laughs) By our faith in Christ, we become Jesus' adopted brothers and sisters. Think about that for a moment. The scripture says we're heirs and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Adopted sons and daughters of the King of the universe. Wow. And as fully adopted and accepted children, we share in the same blessings as our elder brother, Jesus Christ. Wow. So God has begun a good work in us. He began a good work here. And he's going to see that work to completion, isn't he? But it's a work in progress, isn't it? It's a work in progress. Uh, Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21, it says, May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good thing for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. God is at work among us and will continue to be. So the work is ongoing in our lives and it's an ongoing in our church, individually and corporately. And here's how God sees us as individuals. A bar of steel worth $5 when made into ordinary horseshoes is then worth $10. If this same $5 bar is manufactured into needles, the value raises to $350. If it is made into delicate springs for expensive watches, that same $5 worth of steel now becomes worth $250,000. Man looks at man 
as the steel bar. There's limited use at best. God sees in us this piece of material with unlimited potential. And it can be used to be anything or make anything, anytime, any place God chooses. The only limits are the ones we place on ourselves. So, the same bar of steel is made more valuable by being passed through one blast furnace after another, again and again, hammered and manipulated, beaten and pounded, finished and polished until it is ready for the task that it's intended. It's a process that requires change. It's a process that requires change. Henry Blackaby says that we should always be willing to adjust our lives to what God is doing. Folks, that means change, doesn't it? And I, you know, I don't know what kind of change God has in store. We, I know that He has a pastoral change in store. And I know that the next pastor will do things differently than I do. And he'll probably be a different personality than I am. And he'll probably preach differently than I do. And he'll probably have some ideas about what needs to happen here so that we can move forward. That means change. I know we don't always like that word. But it's part of what has to happen. It's part of what has to happen to that steel bar to turn it into what eventually it becomes. And God has something for us to become. And it's going to require change. And I pray that you'll be ready to embrace that and support that. But then God says He will see this work to completion. We're not there yet. Um, you've heard this. Uh, you've seen these letters. P-B-P-G-I-F-W-M-Y. Please be patient. God isn't finished with me yet. But it, he also says P-B-P-G-I-F-W-U-Y. Please be patient. God isn't finished with us yet. Right? He's not finished with this yet. The work will never be completed in this lifetime. So we're still in process. We will always be in process till we see Jesus. Numbers 23 verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? We've just read a promise today. God will take us through that process that leads to completion in Christ Jesus. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.24 it says, The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Do you believe that? God never starts a work and leaves it unfinished. That would be a contradiction of his character. God is not like man. We start things. I start things. And there are a lot of things that never get finished. Ask my wife, she'll tell you. Thank God that my hope in Christ does not rest solely on my willpower. 
It rests upon the fact that God would never have started the work in me if He had not decided to finish it. Paul says the same thing in Romans 5.10. If when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And what Paul means is this. Christ died for you when you were an enemy and a rebel and hated Him. How much more then will God keep and sustain you and finish the work He began? The character of God guarantees the completion of that work. But it's a process, isn't it? And it's going to require change. I hope there's been change evident in your life. I've certainly seen that here in this church body since we've been here these eight years. And God will keep working that change in you till you're a finished product and stand before Jesus someday. And then, part one, which I've made part two. Paul says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. I always pray for you and I make my requests with a heart full of joy. Because you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. Before we came here, I think we've told this story before. <laughs> My stepmom, who happened to be in the bathtub at the time, and we're still not sure, and she's not sure either if it was a vision or a dream. But God told her, Sid and Julie, you will be in a place where you will be dearly loved. You're spot on, Grandma. God was spot on. Paul, at the end of his letter to the church at Rome, if you look in the last chapter, greets 25 people by name and sends greeting from eight others who are with him. So he's writing from a place to the church at Rome. He greets 25 people. And there's some places where he kind of does corporate greetings, doesn't he? You know, greet the people that meet in the house of so-and-so, but just 25 people that he greets by name. And then sends greetings from eight people that are with him wherever he is when he was writing this letter. See, Paul was not a solo act. These people were all partners together with Paul in ministry. But not just in ministry. They were partners with him in life. They were friends. It was all about relationships that he had built along the way. And how critical those were to him. And to his success in ministry. You know, um, I, I was thinking about what, what it says here um, about... Uh, because of your partnership in the gospel. One of the definitions of partnership is participation. Paul saying, you participated with me in the work of the gospel. So, so as partners, we participate in something together. 
this case, Paul is referring to the sharing or spreading of the gospel. But I think that it went beyond that. I think it went to participating in life together. Really, that's what the gospel is about, isn't it? And, and think about, if you've read uh, so many of the letters in the New Testament that, that Paul wrote especially, we see these phrases repeated again and again. Those are each other and one another. Each other and one another. And it's about relationship. God never intended for any of us to be a solo act. We're to live this life, we're to live the gospel in connection, in community, in relationship. Um, and I'm, I, you know, I've been thinking a lot about relationships. The relationships we've built here. Many of you are aware of... Um, we have in the core, in the gym. We built some relationships there. Um, there are people that I work out with. There are people that encourage me and push me. I have some great coaches. I have a great physical therapist who works in the gym, and I, I have needed her at times. I have relationships in my neighborhood. One of my neighbors is here today. You should all have a neighbor like I do. I built relationships in the past. I have some of those people here today, too, from college. One that I ran track with and one that I ran track before. And certainly in the church. I have said over and over again, this will always be our church. Not, not, the, not the churches I claim in my own as a pastor, but the church where our hearts are. And I think about um, the blessings. Um, how you have generously supported and prayed for our daughter, Jill. generosity toward Julie and I at birthdays, anniversaries, pastor appreciation, Christmas, all those special points throughout the year. Your, incredibly, your incredible strong support for missions and yeah. You sent us to General Assembly last time we had one. <laughs> It's been a while now. Thank you for doing that. 
And I've said this before, we, we're an older church as far as our average age, but there's some great benefits to that. One is um, that era, whatever you call it, are committed givers. It's just what you did. But they're wonderful cooks. They're really experienced. So when we have events like we have today, it's, it's wonderful. And the people who do their ministry jobs week in and week out, I, um, I've just I've been impressed, I think, by the number of people in this church body that have at least one job. And some who have... It's amazing how many jobs they do. And then, for of, cor- of course, for, for the many prayers that have been offered up on our behalf. And, and what I see as the unity of this church body and the love and care that we have for one another. We do a pretty good job of shepherding each other here, I think. And we um, often, when I think most of the time, I know Bernice does this. So there's a lot of things I don't have to worry about because Bernice does it. But when somebody comes and we send them a letter, we send this little response card. And um, one of the things that we often see is how welcome people feel when they come here. And that's not always the case. Some of you have come home from vacation or something and said we went to church somewhere and it's like nobody even said hi to us. Because we came to Longmont Nazarene Church, um, we had the privilege of going to Israel two times. There's someone um, whose initials are Dave Wheelock, <laughs> who made sure that happened. And Dave, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I, I never had any real desire to go to Israel. I know some people talk about, oh, I want to go to the Holy Land. I, want to go. I never really had that desire till I went. And I couldn't wait to go the second time. And hey, we got to live in Colorado. One of the things we did was um, we bought this machine. And we love to ride the mountains. We've been all over the state now. Well, the western half, because that half's not quite as exciting. But... So thank you. That's a short list. Absolutely a short list. And then I like what um, Paul says here. Because if you jump down to verse 9, he has a prayer there. I would say, this is my prayer too. I pray that your love will overflow more and more. 
that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. It is sweet. The righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. That's my prayer for you. Um, my family didn't grow up camping, but Julie's family did. And so, here's one of the things that was kind of a mantra with them. When we go camping, we leave the campsite better than we found it. My prayer is, that at least a little bit, we will leave Longmont Nazarene Church better than we found it. Amen. I'm done. So, um, have a seat for just a second, please. And will you go get Miss Pamela?